there were seven last sayings of Jesus on the cross. Let me start over, Carrie. This morning we are looking at the final words, the last words of Jesus. And I want to just bring to your attention that there were seven final sayings of Jesus on the cross. There was uh, the first one in Luke twenty three thirty four, where he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He then turned to the believing thief at his side and said, Today you shall be with me in paradise. John 19 records Jesus with his mother and John the disciple at the base of the cross. And Jesus, the firstborn, knowing that his responsibility was to take care of his mother, knowing that he is dying, he turns to John and he says, Behold your mother. And he turns to his mother Mary and says, Woman, behold your son. The fourth thing he said was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ali, Ali, lama sabbatani in Matthew chapter 27. And the final three sayings from Christ on the cross are record, two of them are recorded in John 19. He says, I thirst. And then it is finished. And the final words that were ever to come out of our Lord's mouth during that moment were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke chapter 23. You know, there's no denying, without question, Jesus Christ is the most important figure in all of human history. He is the most significant person to have, ever, to have ever encountered our world. And if Jesus is truly the most significant figure in all of human history, His crucifixion is the most significant action of His life. And we can also speak about the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection. But let me remind you, there would be no resurrection if there were not first a death. The resurrection is the response of the death or the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It seems as though everything centers and hinges on the crucifixion of Jesus. So the most significant character, the most significant person in all of the world, at his most significant moment, the crucifixion, said what I believe to be the most significant words of all of the seven. Though the first three were done before the darkness. They were all focusing on other people. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To the believing thief, it was today you shall be with me in paradise. And to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then, after the darkness came, while the darkness was coming, he cried out to his father, where the first three dealt with his relationship with others. The fourth one dealt with his relationship with the father. But the final three... After the darkness had come, all focused on Himself. His body, soul, and spirit were all the subject of His words. He said, I thirst, it is finished, and Father, into Your hands I commit My spirit. I believe the most significant of all of those seven words is it is finished. You see, we look up here on the stage and we see three words in the English. Three words, it is finished. 
But in the Greek, it is one word, tetelestai. Jesus from the cross, and in the translation, is uttered a beautiful word, tetelestai. It, it is literally, it means this, it is finished, it stands as finished, and it will always be finished. Jesus was not simply saying it is done. He was saying it is done, it stands as done, and it will always be done. There will never be a moment where this action will not be done. It is consumed in its entirety. It is finished and fulfilled. And I want you to just think about that for a moment because that word was used in a lot of different arenas in that day and in that culture. For instance, if a potter was making a vessel, and he would be working diligently on this vessel to make it just exactly the way he wanted, when he was finished and he had placed it in the kiln and it came out and it was done, he would look at that finished piece of work and he would say, Tetelestai. It is finished, it stands as finished, and it will always be finished. The servant that would come in from the field having accomplished all that his master had given him to do for the day would say, Tetelestai. Meaning, it is finished, it stands as finished, and it will always be finished. It was also a word that was used in the economy of the day. You see, when a man would walk in to pay his bill, he would have his bill in one hand and the money in the other to cover it. And he would take that bill and he would put it down on the table and he would take the money and he would place it on top of it and he would say, Tetelestai, it is finished, it is paid, it is fulfilled. My obligation has been accomplished. I want you to see this morning these beautiful words. I want you to see the tremendous significance and why I say it is the most significant of all of the last seven sayings of the most significant event from the most significant man in human history. I want you to see first the sufferings of Jesus were finished. You see, when he said to tell us die, the good news is all of the mocking and the beating, all of the physical trauma on his life was done. They could not inflict any more damage to him at that moment. Now, obviously, when we speak of the sufferings, we're aware of his physical sufferings. Crucifixion was a cruel and inhumane form of capital punishment. Created by the Persians, borrowed by the Greeks, and perfected by the Romans. Its purpose was to inflict maximum torture on the body. You see, the crucifixion itself was not intended to be the death as much as it was intended to be the manner in which that maximum torture could be inflicted and public humiliation would ensue. You see, what they would do is they would mock and they would, they would uh, beat. They had the cat of nine tails, the flagellum, um, and they would have on the end of that flagellum pieces of bone or pieces of metal or, or, or such as that sharp objects. And they would whip them with them. And oftentimes people could even become disemboweled through the whipping and the tearing of the flagellum. There would be tremendous blood loss at times. No doubt there would be weakness, broken bones, eyes gouged out by this horrible torture. 
And then they would be required to carry their cross through town as a symbol to all other malefactors. That if you break the law, this is what can happen to you. And then they would be taken to the place of the crucifixion where their arms and feet would be nailed to the cross. They would be hoisted and set down on top of that hill for all to be able to see, again, as a warning to all who would disobey the law. But you know, it wasn't so much the crucifixion, it wasn't so much the nails that killed them. You see, their body, the weight of their body as it hung, would often cause a buildup with all of the injuries that they had endured, that their lungs would often begin to fill with fluid. And what you would find was with such a short capacity of air in their lungs, they would often push up on their legs with that nail in their feet. They would push up on that nail. No doubt that had to be painful. And they would push up just enough in the air to relieve a little of the pressure on their lungs so they could... (gasps) get some air they would gasp for air and then come back down to settle eventually the bodies would grow would grow weary the body would be in so much pain pushing up on those nails that eventually they would just give up their body would go to its natural state of rest and they would eventually suffocate when the roman soldiers went by to take them down off the cross they were going to break the legs they broke the legs of the other two you know what that did that that forbid them to be able to lift up and to catch air. They would have suffocated. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that He was already dead. We're familiar with the physical sufferings of Jesus. But let me add this one caveat to what our Lord endured physically. Jesus was in no man's land, if you think about it. The only friends Jesus had on this earth had ran and they were scattered. As Jesus said, you strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered abroad. Jesus knew they were going to leave. It was actually part of their protection to not be there. That Jesus would not lose one that was given to him. But beyond the disciples, there was nobody there that would be an advocate for Jesus on this earth. He was in the hands of the Romans and the Romans disliked the Jews and the Jews disliked the Romans. Jesus had no advocate. The Jews had rejected Him and the Romans didn't care. They mocked Him viciously. They beat Him mercilessly. And He endured all of that for us. There were physical sufferings, but when He said to die, there was no more harm that could come to His body. There was also relational suffering. His Father had allowed darkness to cover the face of the whole earth. Much like Abraham and Isaac, standing at the base of the cross as Abraham, or standing at the base of Mount Moriah, where he was soon going to offer his son at the top. And you remember in that account, the Bible tells us that Abraham turned to the servants who had gone with him and said, you stay here. It was only Abraham and Isaac that ascended Mount Moriah that day because they had business to do that nobody else could be a part of. When that darkness came down upon the face of the earth and the Father beheld the Son who became sin for us, 
We can only imagine how great that gulf, how great that space had become between them as the Holy One of God took on the sins of the whole world and became sin for us. We can only imagine how vast that expanse must have been. There was physical suffering. There was relational suffering. There was emotional suffering as the Romans had mocked Him in every way possible. Jesus came as the prophesied prophet, priest, and king. And they mocked Him as a prophet. They mocked Him as a priest. And they mocked Him as a king. His spiritual suffering. I would imagine of all of these, the spiritual suffering that Jesus endured had to have been the greatest. We get a glimpse of that suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane just moments before this time on the cross. When He went out to pray with His disciples and the eleven were there and Judas had gone off to betray Him, do you remember that the Bible says that Jesus brought Peter, James, and John a little further and then Jesus went a little further yet, deeper into the garden to pray. And we get a glimpse, a picture, we get a transcript of what Jesus was saying to the Father, Father, if possible, allow this cup to pass for Me. Father, if there is any other way, allow this cup of suffering to be removed. Jesus heard from His Father that there was no other way to redeem the world but through that cup of suffering. Jesus accepted and responded to God's will. The will of His Father. To the point that Luke describes that he sweat drops of blood. Under such great agony and torment, our Lord suffered spiritually. To tell us die. No more physical suffering. No more relational suffering. No more emotional suffering. No more spiritual suffering. Believers, let me tell you, Two quick things in regards to our first point this morning. The first is this. We know as children of God. We know that when we have entered into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, we can have that assurance that one day our sufferings will end. We know that because of Jesus Christ, there is coming a day for all who have called on Him as Lord and Savior, we can know that there is a day that it will be to tell us die. That our physical sufferings will be over. We will be in the presence of God at our death. We know that the Bible says because Christ was resurrected and given this glorious body, we also will receive a glorious body. We also know that our emotional sufferings will be ended. We know that our relational sufferings will be ended. And all of the spiritual struggles in our life will be ended at that moment. We know it's coming. We don't know when. But we know there is a day of Tetelestai. So Christians, those of you that are hurting and suffering and are tormented right now, lift up your eyes and remember the promises of God's Word that there is a day that it will be Tetelestai. It will be finished. It will stand as finished. And it will always be finished. The second thing I want to say in regards to His physical suffering is emotional, relational, and spiritual. Spiritual. 
is if Jesus was willing to endure what He did to save us from hell. If He was willing to do that, to spare us from that horrible eternal end, how horrible must that end be? You see, seriously. If He would willingly come and do that, if the best of heaven would endure the worst of the world, if He would do that for me, then what does that say about that destination that He is desperately trying to save us from? If it is that awful what He experienced, then what we would experience apart from that sacrifice must be exponentially greater. I encourage you this morning, if you have never made that relationship with Christ real in your heart, if you have never come to God and said, God, I am a sinner and I stand in need of, a, of forgiveness. I stand in need of a Savior today to rescue me from that horrible place of hell. And to be my Lord and Savior and to give me purpose and meaning and joy in life. If that's you today, praise God. Because He endured that so we would not have to. The second thing I want you to see is that the prophecies and foreshadowings were finished. There were 28 prophecies fulfilled on the cross of Christ. 28. 20 of those prophecies came from two books of the Bible. Psalms and the book of Isaiah. A large portion of those 20 came from two sections of those two books. Isaiah chapter 53 and Psalm 22 have a majority of those prophecies fulfilled. When you consider all of those prophecies that were fulfilled in that moment, you realize God wasn't making it up as He went. You realize this was not an event that happened as a result of connected strange occurrences. This wasn't coincidence, folks. Hundreds of years before, before crucifixion was even real. Before crucifixion had ever even been created, they were prophesying the exact manner in which this guy would die. No, this was not something that was, was not uh, circumstantial. This was planned was prophesied. It was predicted. This fit exactly into God's timeline at the exact moment, in the exact way, in the exact manner that Almighty God knew it was going to happen and spoke it before it ever did. We now see this beautiful tapestry of God's love that began before the foundation of the world but had climaxed at that moment in His demonstration for love, of love on the cross of Calvary. The Bible tells us, the Bible reminds us, I should say, that everything before the cross of Christ was a foreshadowing. It was 
for that moment, for especially for the Jews of that day, especially for the religious leaders, they could have looked up at Jesus hanging on the cross with their vast knowledge of the Old Covenant. With their vast knowledge of the five books of Moses. They could have looked at Jesus and said, yes, there He is, the seed of the woman in Genesis. There He is, the covering for Adam and Eve. There He is, the ark that is saving the world from destruction. There He is, Joseph cast into the pit as a rejection from his brothers. There He is, the Passover lamb. There He is, the scapegoat. There He is, the ram caught in the thicket for Isaac. There He is. They should have been able to see all of the foreshadowing. Let me remind you of this. The entire sacrificial arrangement prescribed under the Old Testament law. Let me say that again. The entire sacrificial arrangement prescribed under the Old Testament law was a foreshadowing of this. But yet they were dull. Their hearts were hardened. Their ears were dull of hearing. Their eyes had become blind. And they could not see that Jesus was indeed who He said He was. When Jesus said it is finished, It reminds us as believers that one day our sufferings will be over as well. It reminds us that this was not an isolated event that was put together on the fly. But it was predicted, prophesied, and planned to the very time and moment of God's choosing. The third thing, and I would share with you that it is the most important of all of those words. When Jesus said to tell us die, it was not just my sufferings are over. It was not just the prophecies are fulfilled. But it was that sin's debt had been paid. Remember I told you there was the potter that would say to tell us die when the vessel was done. I told you that when the servant would come in from the field and report to his master, he would say, Tetelestai, the work is done. But do you remember I told you another common use of the word was when someone owed a debt. And they would come in with their bill in one hand. What they owed. And in the other hand, they would have the money to pay and they would slap the bill down and they would slap the money on top of it and they would say, it is paid. Friends, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, went 
right into the middle of the world. He went to the marketplace of Satan. And Jesus said, I want every person I want to buy them all. What's that going to cost? His life. You see, guys, on the cross of Christ, Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law. He met the holy standard of His Father. He never lied, cheated, stole. He never committed adultery. He never did anything He shouldn't and He always did what He should have. He was literally perfection. God in the flesh coming down to earth to bridge the gap between us and God because we have missed the mark. We have sinned. And we have missed God's standard of holiness in order to experience eternal life. So Jesus comes to the world and on one hand meets the requirements, has the bill. This is what the law requires, is perfection or death. So what I will give is perfection and die for them. I will pay the debt that they cannot pay. To tell us die, my sufferings are done. To tell us die, the scriptures have been fulfilled. And to tell us die, the debt is paid. 2 Corinthians 5.19 God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Romans 5.1 We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why through our Lord Jesus Christ? Because He is the One who paid the debt. Hebrews 10.10 By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Hebrews 10.14 For by one offering He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Guys, Christians today, we look at that cross. We look at He who hung on the cross. And we can truly say in our heart that when he said it is finished, those were beautiful words. Meaningful words. Powerful words. Life-giving words. Isn't it funny that the words it is finished actually have created a new beginning. It is through His finished work on the cross. 
that we are able to have a new hope, a new life. It was through His death we have been born again. It is through His humility we have been exalted. Hebrews 2.3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Those are haunting words. If we can behold that sacrifice and hear those words that we love so much, And yet, if we could walk out of here being hardened in our heart, how can we escape? The scariest word in that is not escape so much as it is neglect. Oh, I'll get around to it. Oh, I intend on being a Christian someday, just not right now. Friend, the longer we encounter the convicting power of God and fail to yield to it, I believe it only causes our heart to become more calloused. It only causes our heart to become harder. Will you respond to God today? Will you allow those words, it is finished, to breathe new life into you? Will you recognize that you are a sinner separated from God? And you will be forever separated from God. Unless you receive the free gift of salvation offered only through the Son. And only by faith.